0: Open Book, featuring literary dialogues with Nina Serrano. I'm your host, Nina Serrano. My guest today is Judy Wells. It's such a pleasure to have her here because I've always enjoyed her poetry, and that it would make me feel good, that it, it was funny. Well, I don't know how funny this is going to be because when I first heard about this new book, Dear Phoebe, it was because... Judy had had an accident from the excitement of writing it, dear Phoebe. But I'll let her tell you all about it. Thank you, Nina. Can you tell
1: us that whole story, how it came about? Actually, my cousin, Webb Johnson, while cleaning out his father's effects in Walnut Creek, California, he found a cache of letters in a trunk, and they were all written to our great-grandmother, and her name was Phoebe Marsh Dickinson, and she married Webb into the Webb family. So the book is basically a saga about Phoebe. Phoebe received all these letters from her relatives who were back east in Massachusetts. Phoebe, in the early 1860s, followed her two sisters out to California. They were all going to become school teachers. Her two younger sisters, Delia and Abby, did become school teachers. Phoebe came out in 1864. She got off the steamer in San Francisco and within two months she was married to Mr. Franklin Webb and she moved to his ranch in Walnut Creek and began having babies. The other sisters in California Became school teachers first, but they too started courtships and eventually married. So, in this cache of letters, the sisters all wrote to each other letters in California because they were separated. Abby was up in Placer County. Delia was down in San Jose and then up in San Francisco and then in Sonoma County. Phoebe was in Walnut Creek. So, they needed to write to each other. Meanwhile, their relatives back in Massachusetts who lived on the Connecticut River, right up the river from Amherst, where Emily Dickinson lived. And they were all Dickinsons, my ancestors. They were distant cousins, but I can claim that I am a distant cousin of Emily Dickinson. How did the accident occur? Because in my mind, it was something
0: about the inspiration and the uh, passion and excitement that you had about
1: writing this book that caused the accident. Is that right? My cousin Webb took the grandmother's letters that were written to her. He spent a full year transcribing these letters and put them in a binder. He gave me a copy of those letters, and that's how I was able to read them. I was also trying to correct his transcription and was looking at the original letters which are now in the Contra Costa County Historical Society in Martinez. And I had this huge binder of letters and I was working on my computer and I got up to go to the bathroom and I found myself just flying, crashing on the floor. However, the moment when I did that, I had been reading about the death of the youngest sister in Placer County. So there was a trauma taking place while I was reading, and when I got up, I experienced my own trauma. So I have a long poem that I wrote called Ancestor Exorcism, which tries to show certain linkages and relationships between her trauma, the youngest sister who died in childbirth, And my own trauma of falling and severely breaking my hip and elbow and had a long recovering doing that. And the poem I wrote, I wrote it maybe about six or eight months after I had the accident. And you know how you have those dark nights of the soul at times? You just write something down. I think I was trying to explain why I had this accident. But, of course, it's rather irrational But Poetry doesn't care about that. We delve in the irrational and the unconscious. And I have to believe that our ancestors affect us in the present, even though we don't really think about them. If we learn about them, we can see our relationship and why we are a certain kind of person when we examine our past. I'd like to hear that poem. Would that be all right to start with that poem? Yes, I'd love to. I'm going to read my poem, Ancestor Exorcism, And it's for the three Dickinson sisters who came out here to California. And the oldest sister, Phoebe, my ancestor, was born in 1835, and she died in 1918. The second sister was Delia. She was born in 1837 and died in 1908. And the third sister is Abby, and she was born in 1838. And died in 1866 I was sitting at my desk at my computer working on my Dickinson ancestor project and had come to the hard part letters to Phoebe about the death of her dear little sister Abby who had just given birth her baby boy was still alive but Abby the liveliest of the three sisters In her letters, the one who most feared the sickness, pregnancy, who married for love, but reluctantly, suddenly, in her sister Delia's letter, died. I've read these letters so many times, but this time I rise from my computer and find myself soaring in the air, and I crash, screaming on my left side. Why am I now the third Dickinson sister, the adventurous, the lively, unable to rise from the floor? I am a third sister too, the adventurous, the lively, stricken by the Dickinson curse. I too have lost a child, not through birth, but abortion, an unwanted pregnancy. I remember the nausea Triggered by strong smells from food. My God, how phallic from salami. Abby was so sick during her pregnancy, couldn't keep anything down, lost weight, a mere wraith. These 19th century women knew the dangers of childbirth, which might end in death. When I was in the rehab center for my broken hip and elbow, My own two sisters came to visit me. I felt a great guilt and shame come over me. I, the baby sister, was the first to have a shattering experience of old age. No, I was supposed to last longer, be stronger, look out for them as we aged, not the opposite. I was little Abby, though not the mischievous angel she was. Angel. Angel, Angel, why did I fly over the floor and crash the moment Abby died? Her death is a searing trauma in a long series of letters to Phoebe, the eldest sister who was not at her bedside when she died. Her sister Delia, who was there, could have taken Abby's boy home with her. Abby would have wanted that, but Delia hesitated left the child with the neighbor thought him too ill to travel two weeks later he died Odilia, why didn't you take the baby you childless who lost your own baby soon after childbirth your husband nursed you back to health took care of your breasts oh intimate revelations in letters Why didn't you take Abby's child? The grief-soaked houses of early California. Now mine is grief-soaked. In my darkest moments, I wonder if I am being punished for not wanting a child. Ironically, the father, who was English, would have linked my soon-to-be-non-child with its New England forebears. But I had a choice, not to bear this child with an IUD clutched in it's little hand, or so my imagination flows. When I went to the hospital for my abortion, a nasty nurse sent me up to the obstetrics floor bursting with women and babies. Another cautiously sent me down to the sterile green surgery basement. To a silent room full of women waiting their turn. Mine came nearly last. A friend took me home to my apartment. I closed my eyes and slept. Awoke hours later, sore from ankles to jaw. God knows what happened to me on that surgery table. But I was alive, without child. What I wanted then, age 28 I haven't been able to look at that binder that binder of dickinson letters that slid from my lap when I fell on the floor getting up from my chair three close sisters three dickinsons from west northfield massachusetts came to california in the 1860s to teach earn their keep find husbands My ancestor Phoebe finds a Maine sailor turned Walnut Creek rancher. Delia finds a charming California Civil War captain in San Jose. Abby finds a wheelwright in the Sierra foothills. Only the oldest sister Phoebe has surviving descendants. I am one. When I fell from getting up from their story, where they're trying to communicate with me, don't expose us. Our story is private. But it is a story of so many women, my dear Dickinson's, and it hasn't been told. You are ordinary day heroines, not great feminists, not great political women, not great writers, perhaps not even great teachers. But you wrote letters in a close-knit family to tell the story of New England women in California who left their homes to find new lives, whose land was left to their brothers to farm. Because of you, your descendant, my father, saw fit to college educate his three girls and a boy, marry a school schoolteacher with the same plan for her children. I felt so sad when Abby died She was in so much pain, perhaps shot up with morphine in the end. I trace her in her letters from healthy school teacher to sickly housewife in the Sierra foothills, possibly with malaria, fever, and chills. She had to ask her sisters for household tips, never having kept house as a teacher who boarded with others. Oh, I understand you, Abby. Abby. I, too, never really learned to keep house, years as a grad student, then poet life in strange dwellings. I am a poet who lives in a basement. I've been a catatonic clerk. I did not want to get pregnant when I did. My body wanted it, the biological imperative overriding my efforts at birth control. Was I struck down for my sin, a New England Hester Prynne sin, or a good old straightforward Catholic sin? Did some Old Testament God wrench me out of my chair and break my bones on the floor? But Jehovah, I just wanted to go to the bathroom, honestly. I fight my Protestant past, tooth and glove, whatever that means, and sink my teeth into my Irish roots. Ouch. But I can't deny those three sweet New England Protestant sisters who parallel my own nuclear family. Phoebe is Mimi, Delia is Nancy, Abby is Judy, and their Civil War vet brother, Nathaniel, is Buddy. Oh, the Dickinsons had other sons too but one was enough for my family, and the pattern repeats. My brother Buddy had three daughters, another trio of California women. Abby, can I separate myself from you? Abby, we had birth control in the 20th century. You could have used it back then. Abby, you could have survived childbirth with better doctors and hygiene Abby, I have a doctorate in literature and did teach, sometimes reluctantly. You would have been a more devoted teacher than I. Abby, today you would have more choices. Abby, forgive me for blaming you for my fall. You see, I was so devastated by your story, by how devastated your sisters were by your death, how devastated your husband was for months And then how it all fell away. Your husband, Mr. Hyatt, had to move on, get another wife, give your underwear away to his new impoverished wife. Yes, gossip from your friend, Maddie. Abby, I want to tell your story. It makes me cry. I want to tell my own story, how much I have suffered with the debilitating effects of this elbow and hip break. Abby, I am seared with pain. Can you blame me that your story's impact left me in agony on the floor, that I lost control of my own destiny, that I was in the hands of others, medical workers who worked, yes, worked, to set me right? I feel so grateful to them all. Abby, unlike you, I don't have to die yet. You were so very young, age 28. Never lived to raise a son or a daughter or three daughters. You would have been a good mother with your loving nature and humor. Abby, your sister Phoebe, never knew her packet of letters would be read by her descendants. How another third sister would sit entranced by the intimate feelings of relatives who lived 150 years ago. Abby, can I tell your story? Abby, I need to separate from your number three sister role. Abby, I would have loved you as others did, but I need to walk on my own now, out of your dying shadow. You left the shadow of New England yourself, first as a teacher in Ohio, Then in Placer County, California, you traded security for a new life. Abby, you New Englanders had your religion and God to console you and each other. I am somewhat without. No parental God can help me out. I wish I had one, even a parent and I at 70 years old. Abby... I need to be brave for my new life, my entrance into old age, what you were denied. Perhaps I am wrong to say old age. Should I say wisdom years? Should I say senior years? Should I say elder years? All euphemisms for friggin' old age, god damn it. I'm sick of it. Get up old girl, get up. January 27th, 2015. Three years ago. Wow, what
0: a tremendous poem.
1: Thank you, Nina. It was hard to write and hard to read, but there is a certain exorcism, I think, in reading it. And I'm hoping it's not too confusing because I deal with so many different time periods there. The three sisters in the 1860s, which is over, you know, 150 years ago, I'm dealing with my own self when I was 28 years old, when I had an abortion, and I'm also dealing when I fell, when I was not quite 70 years old. But I'm happy to report that I did get up, and I now feel... Much younger than I did then. (laughs) How wonderful. How wonderful. What I read you is the prologue to the entire book. And this is the book, Dear Phoebe, The Dickens' Sisters Go West. And that will be available from Sugar Town Publishing. The letters all deal with the sisters out here in California in the 1860s and the relatives back in New England, also in that same time period. The prose pieces are my introduction to the series of poems that are based on these letters. There's Northfield, little town, and across the Connecticut River, there is West Northfield, and that's where my ancestors are from. Strangely enough, West Northfield has kind of a nickname, and it's called Satan's Kingdom. Now, the story is In Northfield, some wag came out of church and saw that West Northfield, some land over there was burning. And he went, oh, Satan's kingdom is burning. But I think there may have been some kind of rivalry between the two branches of the town, the Northfield section and the West Northfield section. And these girls that I've talked to you about, their first cousin was prosperous and built a granite library in Northfield called the Dickinson Memorial Library for our ancestors, our Dickinson ancestors. But I do want to read a poem about where I am talking with Emily Dickinson. She is a very distant relative of mine, a distant cousin. It's called After Reading Galway Kinnell's Oatmeal and Contemplating Emily Dickinson. Galway Kinnell is a famous New England poet and New York poet, actually. He was the Poet Laureate of Vermont. So here I go with, After reading Galway Connell's Oatmeal and contemplating Emily Dickinson. Like Galway Connell, I eat a bowl of oatmeal every morning. Unlike his, mine is not glutinous, lumpy, or slimy. It is a sublime concoction of oatmeal Raisins, cranberries, almonds, walnuts, and fresh fruit, blueberries, apples, raspberries, or strawberries, I make it myself. Nor do I need an imaginary companion to eat with me. But today, in the spirit of Galway Canal, who breakfasted with Keats, I choose one, Emily Dickinson. Yes. I will sample your oatmeal, she says. My Irish maid, Maggie Maher, often made it for herself and the hired hands, though I much prefer my own cake. She daintily eats two spoonfuls of my elaborate mush. I'm Irish, too, I say to Emily. Her eyes pierce my soul. I could tell said emily though you do not resemble maggie as much as the irish washerwoman who lives down the street i am also related to you emily i say she eyes me suspiciously i'm your sixth cousin twice removed she snorts please say that in plain english my great-grandmother is Phoebe Dickinson from Northfield, Massachusetts, just at the river from Amherst. She was born four or five years after you were. Oh, a descendant of our northernmost Puritan ancestors. Emily sighs. I suppose they were farmers. Not our sort, really, those Dickinson farmers. We became lawyers and college builders. I'm getting a little hot under the collar of my blue synthetic robe as she sits coolly crisp in her white cotton house dress. I counter. Phoebe's first cousin Elijah Dickinson, built a magnificent stone library in Northfield. He made his money in shoe manufacturing in Fitchburg, sent his shoes worldwide. Emily looks down at her dainty feet. I suppose we all need shoes. Tell me who you are, other than a hybrid Irish Dickinson. I'm from 21st century California, I say. Phoebe Dickinson wasn't a stay-at-home like you. She took the boat to California, was a cook on board, and met her husband, a seaman, on the voyage. Or so the story goes. I'm a fourth-generation Californian. And I humbly state, a poet, not a genius like you, Cousin Emily, whom I admire intensely. But you might be amazed to know women can now get Masters of Fine Arts in Poetry all over the U.S.A. I approve, said Emily. I had several Masters, though I never did reveal their names. And we have machines at home that can instantly send our letters round the world if we want. I approve, said Emily. The world never sent a letter back to me, and secretly I wanted one. And you can conduct a love affair solely by these machines, I said. I approve, said Emily. I confess I was erotically attracted to both men. And women but I never wanted the mess a letter is much more erotically charged than a body at least in my opinion my mind is not a mess and what form do you choose for your poetry Emily asked I had to admit I did not know for it varied day to day And all I could say was, story, I want to tell a story. Well, that's not very spiritual, she said. I took several large spoonfuls of my oatmeal and thought for a second. I don't want to hear a fly buzz when I die, I said. Do you? She did not reply.
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> there you go, making me laugh again with your poems. Well, <laughs> there are poems in, in in the book that that are funny. I did want to add that the reason these girls all came out to California is because there was a scarcity of men during the Civil War back in the 1860s. In the East, all the men were out here who had come to California to refine gold. And other people couldn't find gold and became shopkeepers and ranchers and and doctors and lawyers. And there was a, a whole huge surplus of men out here. And they didn't have a lot of women. So when these girls came out, they were like prizes and were courted by many. I have to admit that I wrote the last letter. Oh, you <laughs> took all the excerpts of all, all the letters. I have had to channel Phoebe and be her voice. But um, hopefully there's some fusion there. And she's not always happy with me. She talks back. So I think you're going to have to read the entire book to to get the story. How do we get the book? Can we pre-order it? You can order it from www.sugartownpublishing.com or contact me at my website, www judywellspoet.com and see a lot of my work there. But if you really want to order it, is to just send an email directly to me, jwellspoet at att.net. I'm so happy that I had these moments with this
0: wonderful poet, Judy Wells. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Open Book Featuring Literary Dialogues with Nina Serrano, a multimedia production of Estuary Press. To see a video of this dialogue, you can go to my website, ninaserrano.com, and click on Radio, where you'll find other episodes of Literary Dialogues and other programs. Please subscribe to my blog so we can stay in touch. May you have a blessed afternoon. You are listening to 94.1 KPFA, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K24HPR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. A quick reminder that your local station board elections are happening now. Please visit kpfa.org or elections.pacifica.org to read candidate statements and more information about the election. You are eligible to vote if you donated a minimum of $25 between October 2nd, 2017 and November 19th, 2018. Look out for your ballot via email or post mail starting January 21st, 2019. Have questions? Contact the local election supervisor by emailing les.kpfa at pacifica.org. One.